Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Recorded live. And here we are with the health and wellness for the golden age. The ongoing, <coughs> continuing work of art of health, wellness, and knowing how to deal with every phase of your life. Because psychologically, physically, emotionally, financially, every one of the panorama of living affects your health and wellness. So we are here today with a great speaker. He is tall, good looking, and younger than me by four months. So uh, (laughs) you know he's well informed. (laughs) And I'm only six years old, so he's only five and three quarters. So we'll we'll add a cost as we do this. So so if everybody just does their great uh, greatness in listening and, and asking questions when Sandy's through. First of all, I met Sandy at our weekend here in Spartanburg, uh, April 7th, 8th, and 9th. And he was so gracious and so supportive of us making certain this program went so well. And then he shared this little teeny book with me, and it's called Sand Grit enterprises. Now, I'm going to start you out with who you are and where you are from, and how did you get into a sand grit enterprises, Sandy? (laughs) What is it? What is it that made you tick to get to that point? So start from who you are and what you are. All right. Uh, Sand grit, S-A-N-G-R-I-T, S-A-N-G, Stands for blood. It's uh, it's a uh, a term that's like uh, sangria wine is a blood red wine. Oh yeah. S a n g is means blood, and sangrit means bound by blood. Oh. So that's how I came up with the name. And it also is uh, an acronym for uh, Sandy and Margaret who I happened to be married to at the time. Ah. Good double double usage there. (laughs) So I I got in, uh, I've been Sangrid Enterprises now for for about uh, 15 years, I guess. But I came to that uh, a very circuitous way, a roundabout way. I have a a bachelor's degree in agriculture from a small college in West Texas, Alpine, Texas, called Sol Ross State. And it's an agricultural college. I was going to be a rancher, Wonder Ann. And and so my focus was on agriculture, specifically range animal husbandry. Mm. I graduated uh, from high school in 
1957, of a huge class of nine kids, four boys and five girls. Oh, my God. So you must have been a little red schoolhouse. <laughs> just about it. <laughs> there, there were just 300 people in the whole county, ranching community out between San Angelo, Texas, and Midland, Texas. Oh if anybody is familiar with Texas, that it's uh, it, it then was uh, purely a ranching country, no farms at all in the county. So it didn't take many people to populate the, the county. A little town of 100 people, uh, 300 in the whole county. So very small community. I got my bachelor of science degree at Solos in 1965. I got my MS degree, and you know what the BS stands for. Yeah. Well, the MS stands for more of the same. <laughs> <laughs> You're on my my chart. <laughs> And my my MS degree, more of the same, it came from the School of Hard Knocks because I I got my real education after I left college. And, of course, my Ph.D. came later, which is piled higher and deeper <laughs> in the same school. Right. So my education has been very varied but concentrated on agriculture. I was introduced to organic Agriculture in 1973, early 73. And by my education, it was not supposed to work because you had this. This is during the, if you remember, you're a little older than I am, uh, uh, Wonder and you, you remember the Green Revolution? Yes. <laughs> we were going to feed the world with these chemicals and wonderful pesticides. You got it. And that was my training in college was how to use those fertilizers and pesticides because the world was starving and we were going to feed them with all this wonderful chemicals. Mm-hmm. When I was introduced to organic agriculture, I had my doubts if it would work. Of course, my A&M trained professors would have told me about it in college. Of course, they didn't. And I had to learn the hard way by observation and and digging up root, roots. I actually have some my records. I still have my records, but I took wheat heads that were grown on in an organic uh, manner. I actually hand-thraced the, the head, counted the berries, measured the berries with a micrometer, uh, measured the the stem diameter, everything I could measure was improved over the chemical approach. Well, that intrigued me. And I've been working in agriculture since then, 1973. That's, what, 44 years now. Mm-hmm. And and I'm more excited every, every week. There's things show up that still that intrigue me that, that show that that our creator did not create any junk. And, of course, the university assumed that, that he did, and we've got to have the support of Monsanto and DuPont and Dow Chemical and that bunch. And I'm going to interrupt you to, to read just something you had in your book that I thought was so wonderful. 
uh, on just that point. Better than organic, harmful, in quotes, insects and disease are nature's agents for correcting imperfection. Their job description is to remove imperfection from creation. <clears throat> Why are we fighting perfection? It's a perfect segue on what you just said. Because we don't have to fight perfection. It's there already. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can I can show you examples and I'll since I can't show you on the on the phone, I'll tell you about them. I have uh pictures of weeds growing in kale and lettuce and a picture of the bug that used to ravage the kale and lettuce, now eating the weed right beside the kale and lettuce and leaving the kale and lettuce alone. Wow. Same bug, same row, same crop, same farmer, same everything, except for the way that the crop is grown. So what makes the difference? What 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 create what got you to create something different? I mean, uh, are you God's best friend? Are you his buddy? <laughs> are, are you his son? You know that kind of thing. Because as your books, as you I just read, why are we correcting perfection? Right. So what 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 started you on that path in that thing? Just mainly observing what was actually happening. When when you see crops, and I've seen it in pastures, uh, there's an all-natural vet that's one of my customers that I happened to mention that one of the indicators that I wanted her to look for in her pasture, her horse pasture, was that the bugs would start eating the weeds, uh, purple nightshade, careless weed, all kinds of weeds in her pasture, and I was back there about a year later showing another fellow what was going on, and she pointed out that the, the weeds had holes in them where the bugs had eaten holes in them, and the rest and the grass was growing luscious. And the grass See, was growing what? Luscious, very well. Oh, luscious. Oh, I love that word. Go ahead. <laughs> so... The, to answer your question, when when you supply, and this applies to people, animals, plants, straight across the board, when you get everything you need to support your system, you're going to be healthy. Yes. Our creator didn't create any junk. He created it to be perfect. Right. But he got it created, he stood back, and he said, this is very good. Assume that disease was the predominant factor. Where would we be today, Wonder Ann? Extinct. That's right. So it cannot be that way, or this whole system would have been self-defeating and and self-terminating. It's not. It's been perpetuated through eons of time. This is part of why I say so often on our program here, People, we're not dying fast enough for them, so they've got to put more crap or BS into the system <laughs> to to make us sicker, and we still aren't dying fast enough. So uh, 
this is so wonderful because it's a way for us to fight back, isn't it? Absolutely. They don't don't even know what your secret ingredient is. I haven't haven't spoiled it for them. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, we don't have to fight it. That's probably not the the best term. Uh, Along that point, Wonder Ann, there is a monument here in Georgia. It's uh, south or east central uh, Georgia called the Georgia Guidestones. Right. And it's, are you familiar with it? We are, but go ahead because you're in Georgia and you know it. Well, we're <laughs> just, uh, I've gone near it, but I've not gone uh, into it. Go ahead. Okay. Well, it's it's very interesting because there are three slabs of granite standing probably 40 feet in the air. They are, they, they form a a triangle. Like a three, three starburst, a, a three-pointed starburst. On each side of each slab is this message written in six different languages. Whoever put that up wants to limit the world's population to one half billion people. This message is in English, in Spanish, in Greek, in a number of languages, six different languages, same message. Somebody is telling us up front they want to limit the world population down from seven and a half billion to one half billion. That's tremendous. That's tremendous. And that is why we are affected so much by what's going on in dis-ease, diseases, and their monumental death by the American Med- uh, Murderers Association. So right. it's uh, uh, a gargantuan uh, I, uh, agenda for them to get rid of that many people. And we're just not dying enough. That's why we have wars. That's why we have false flags. That's why we have all the other kinds of... Uh, but now it's uh, radiation from the cell towers that are going on around the cities and the, uh, and the different areas. We've had three put up in the last month that I've noticed. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's definitely hit Spartanburg, a tiny little town that you saw. And um, it's all over. It's a lot of crap going on all over the place. So go ahead. Well, this this is another program, but there is a way to protect yourself from those rays, a very simple method, but we'll get into that another time. Absolutely. You'll come back for that one because we really need to know that it's going to save a lot of people's lives. Yes. But what, what is involved in this sand grit? You know, I mean, yeah, okay, my blood needs to be worked and my stuff and, you know, what do you, what is it you're really doing to the soil that makes that woman's weeds go away and the grass get better? Well, it's not only grass; it's uh, squash, uh, any any of your vegetables, any of your vegetables. Uh, what you're doing here initially is inoculating the soil or re-inoculating the soil with the beneficial microbes. And the best source I know of is worm castings. Either nightcrawler castings or red wiggler. Both of them will work. 
What do you mean by castings? I mean... It's worm manure is the proper word for it. Worm manure. Poop. Uh, poop. <laughs> <laughs> I um, introduced Sandy at the seminar as a... Uh, what did I say? A turd collector? I mean... The <laughs> yeah. <laughs> A worm bird collector. Oh my God! What did she say? I don't actually grow the worms. Uh, that is a full-time job, and I've got my hands full just just uh, showing people, teaching people how to use it, and uh, and and handling it as a distributor. But what basically let's let's start at the worm level. He's got some uh, uh, bins, plastic bins that are about perhaps five feet long, maybe two feet wide, and maybe two feet deep. And he actually feeds them a ration just like he would feed livestock. It's designed for worms to produce the best manure that can be had. Uh, I know something about his ration. Not all of it, but he, he has a, a ground mixture of seven organic grains mm. plus sphagnum moss and, and some trace minerals, some other ingredients in there. He fills the bin up with that, puts his worms in there, and they do their thing. Now, an interesting uh, point about earthworms, if you remember the story of Joseph and his brothers, in ancient uh, Egypt, he uh, they sold his the, his older brothers were jealous of him. He was the baby, they were jealous of him because he was the favorite of the father, and so they got an opportunity to sell him into slavery. They pretended that he was killed by a lion, and years later he rose from a slave to second in, in command of the pharaoh in Egypt. When his brothers had a famine in their country, they went to to Egypt to to get some food. Joseph recognized them, but they didn't recognize Joseph. So he played with them a little bit. But it is thought that the reason the Nile Valley was so fertile and the rest of the country was in a famine is that, of course, the Nile Valley uh, flooded every year. It doesn't now because of the Aswan Dam, got a new debris, new soil that fed the earthworms. Earthworms, it's estimated there were 100 earthworms per cubic foot. Wow. That's 12 inches by 12 inches by 12 inches. So if you understand what a, how an earthworm works, when they eat through the soil, they they actually, uh, what they consume passes through their body, is changed, and is five times comes out is five times higher in nitrogen, seven times higher in phosphorus, eleven times higher in potassium, and twice as, as much calcium. So just having earthworms in your garden, you are continue they are in, continually improving your garden. 
Now, did they easily die, or did they go on to other fields? Or, or how do you keep them corralled? I mean, or do you? You, you feed them. You keep feeding them. Oh. Yeah, as long as you're going to feed me, I'm going to sit at your table and eat. Okay. Okay. Now, one of the ways that this this worm producer knows that they consume all the food they're going to out of that out of this mixture is they'll start crawling up the sides of the bin trying to go someplace else. Ah, so he has to keep it full to keep them go- happy. Well, when that when that happens, you take the mixture and you pour it onto a screen, and you separate the worms from the from the waste from their waste. Uh-huh. You bag the waste. That's what I get. And then he recycles the worms into a new bin. Ah. So then what do you do with the waste when when you have it for your farmers? All right. There's several ways to use it. You could use it as a tea, uh, a compost tea. And uh, perhaps everybody's listening is familiar with a compost tea. Basically, you have a bucket of water, and you want good, clean well water or stream water without chlorine in it. Well, the chlorine is in there to kill the microbes. So you, you want, if you if you have seeded water, if that's the only source you have, draw you up a bucket, let it set for 48 hours, and the chlorine will gas off. Then you can use it. Then you put be a double handful of uh, worm castings or any good compost well-finished compost in the water. You tweak it with a little sugar, a little humate, a little uh, yeast, perhaps, and you stir it. You keep it aerated because you want the aerobic critters growing, not the anaerobic. Mm-hmm. Anaerobic only grow in an oxygen-deprived environment. So you stir it two or three times a day vigorously, or the way I do it, I'm kind of lazy, I go to Walmart and get a, an aquarium air pump and a stone, huh. and I let it do the stirring. Perfect. You brew this for up to three days, two to three days. Three days is ideal, and you, you use it right away. You can't bottle it because when you put the cap on the jug, of course, you're cutting the oxygen off, and within a few days, it'll go anaerobic on you when they've consumed all the oxygen. Yep. And it uh, stinks to high heaven. Wow. And you don't want to use that on your plants. That's that's not good for your plant. So you put it in your pump-up sprayer, strain it, put it in your pump-up sprayer, and spray it on your foliage or pour it around the roots. So you can use this on your grass. You can use it in your flowers. You can use it in uh, just any place, actually. Any any kind of crop, yes. Wow. Now, you, you, you bring up a point, Wonder Ann, uh, there, and, and let me just kind of sketch this out for a minute. Uh, there are basically three gr- groupings of plants, kinds of plants. If Assume when the, when the a volcano blows off and you've got a lava run down the side of that mountain. There's nothing living in that lava that we recognize as alive. As lava. But within days and weeks at the most, 
there is lichens and mosses growing on that rock at once it's cooled. Mm-hmm. That's the simplest plant life that, that that we recognize. Now they exude an acid that breaks the rock down. When they die, they contribute organic matter, and it starts building. That's the beginning of soil. By the way, you know the difference between soil and dirt. <laughs> yeah, you told us. I want everybody to hear. <laughs> <laughs> when you work in the you work it in the in the soil in your garden, we call it soil. When you wipe your hands on your bushes, it's dirt. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I tell right, that's, that. that's the beginning of soil and as this complex gets gets more and more complex and advanced you have grasses your short grasses come in you have your tall grasses come in later and you have your scrub brush and you have your trees and then you have your uh your old trees like your huge uh redwoods your uh blue spruces those trees that are some of them 2,000 years old, estimated. Mm-hmm. You start from a strong bacterial soil down here at the early stages and up through your your grass stage where you have uh, scrub brush coming in, it's strongly bacterial with some fungal activity, some artificial fungi coming along, but they're kind of easy and slow. When you reach the point where tomatoes like to grow, all your nightshades, Tomatoes, peppers, potatoes, and eggplant are all cousins to each other. They like about a 50-50 biomass of bacteria to fungi. Mm-hmm. Now, you get beyond the tomato stage into your more uh, woody plants, like blueberries, raspberries, roses, azaleas, fruit trees, shade trees. The bigger, more complex that plant is, the more fungal it likes the soil. That gives you a clue as to how to treat your tea, whether you're putting it on lettuce, cabbage, and broccoli, or whether you're putting it on your blueberries and roses and azaleas. Wow, I didn't realize there was such a difference in it. I mean, I have found my my son was telling me I put ashes on the plants during the winter out here to kind of protect them from the cold. Mm-hmm. And my son said, well, don't put that on the azaleas, which I'd already done for two years. <laughs> and, uh, but I've, I, you know, I just kind of throw it at it. So I didn't kill them badly. I killed parts of them. And so he said, no, they don't need all that acidic. They like the Georgia soil. And uh, so I have to watch what I do. And, and now that you're telling me this, it really is imperative to know what you're doing. It it helps to know, see, when you, on your grassy side or your leafy vegetable side of this equation, you want you want to encourage the bacteria to grow and not, there is some fungi there, but it's not the dominant uh, factor. And the way you encourage fungi is plain old white sugar in your really? tea. It's like a fertilizer. It's food for your microbes. Uh, for your for your bacterial side of the microbial community. Now, as you reach the tomato stage, you want to start feeding them humate, which is a like pre-digested organic matter uh, 
that feeds your fungal community. So your bacteria can't uh, digest ligands, out of, you know, wood and organic yes. breakdown. Can you hang on just a minute? You're starting sure. to break up a little bit. So, and I, I know some of the words are getting choppy. Um, is there a way maybe back off a little bit on the mic or your phone and see if that might cut out that breakup? Okay. Okay, is that That's better? Much better. Okay. So if you could repeat uh, that, the part just before I interrupted you. All right. Your your leafy vegetables and your leafy plants like grass, and corn is a grass. Remember, wheat, corn, barley, and rye are all grasses, grass family. Oh, okay. So you feed them sugar or some form of sugar, molasses will work, blackstrap molasses, or honey would work if you got some, I don't know if anybody that throws honey away, but because it never spoils, but any sugar will feed the bacteria. And when you when you get to the tomato stage, or the, actually the nightshade stage where you've got potatoes, uh, eggplant, and peppers, you want about a 50-50 biomass of each there. So you start putting in a little bit of humate, which is totally degraded organic matter. Organic matter breaks down into humus. Humus breaks down into humate. So it's like pre-digested baby foods. That feeds your, your fungal activity. And as you get into your woody plants, like roses, azaleas, fruit trees, shade trees, so forth, you want more and more fungal activity. So you you leave off the sugar and and use only the humate. The humate comes in both liquid and dry. So you can put that in your tea. It feeds the fungal activity that support your woody plants. Mm. So you're always adapting the brew, the tea brew, to uh, what your plant, grass, even your trees might need. Because these trees around here are getting a horrible green fungus from the uh, chemtrails that are coming down. Have you seen that improving in your area? Because I'm sure you get the chemtrails. Absolutely. Wonderland, the way we treat trees is this Georgia soil especially, and I know Spartanburg is probably very much like Georgia, a uh-huh. heavy clay. Yes, red the clay. Clay, red clay. And clay uh, is a, soil particle is a platelet, and they tend to waste flat against each other and restrict the water air movement. A root has to have oxygen to, to survive. Uh-oh, you're breaking up. Back off just a little bit again. So the roots have to have uh, water, right? Uh-oh. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm wearing Yeah, it's, it's breaking up again. All right. Hear me now? Yeah. We're, we're good again. All right. Uh, let me go to my phone instead of my my neck my earphones. Okay. 
Okay. Uh, well, I'm not going to be able to do that. So, okay, we'll just make do here. Okay, is that better? Yes, if you keep, I think it's, when you get too close, it kind of starts blooping. Yeah, okay. Now, where was that? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Orpha. Oh, hey, success. She's been having headset problems. (laughs) I have been battling trying to be heard on this call for over a month now. Anyway, um, I was just going to say, if you're getting too far away from where your phone or something is, you might be losing your, whatchamacallit. <laughs> the power. Okay. No, well, I've got, I've got one of these collar things that you go around your neck and that, with earbuds. Uh-huh. So I'm not too far away. I'm probably too close. Okay. I'm just saying because my headset, if I get too far away from the receiver, I'll start losing the reception. Yeah, okay. I do have some questions, but I won't interrupt, and I, I hope I'll remember them when we're... Write them down. Will. Write them down. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm muting. Okay, the, the short of it is you feed the bacteria sugar, plain old white sugar. Wow. Go to Costco or some wholesale and buy you 25, 50 pounds of sugar. You can actually just hand spread it on your lawn and water it in. Oh, and you'll be amazed at how good that does. <laughs> you should see my lawn now. I have these red ant hills, you know, and I'm feeding them rice. So what's sugar? <laughs> All right. Well, that brings up a point. You can actually move. You don't kill, but you can actually move fire ant beds with the compost teeth. Really? What I do, I just press a little depression with my heel in the bed, and I'll pour a, a quart to a, maybe two quarts in the bed, and I say, now, I, this is not where I want you to be. My grandchildren play here, and I need you to move over yonder where you're not going to bother anybody. <laughs> now, you're not doing anything. See, our intent should not, they have a function. They're aerating the soil, actually, is what they're doing. Right, right. But if they're in your yard and your and your kids or your grandkids playing there, you don't want fire ants, them stung with fire ants. Absolutely. So you, you use the tea, you just pour a quart, big, depending on the size of the bed, a quart to a half a gallon, a well, well-finished tea, and you tell them to move over yonder in the woods where you're not going to bother anybody. And two or three days, they will be moved. They may not go far. You may have to do it again. Right, right. But towards where you want them to go. Correct. Okay. Okay. Great. Great. Even the fire ant has a function. Right. What what about, like, those big black ants and little piss ants? How how can you get rid of those things? I think the same technique will work. So you use this tea to make them move or to draw them to where you want them to go? No, you you pour it actually in their bed, in the in the fire hill, in the ant hill. And they say, "Oh, we're out of here!" Right? Right. Yeah. I've done it many times on our property. 
What if they go in the wrong direction? <laughs> like well, you yeah, want to they, the field and they go towards they, your house or something. <laughs> they they haven't listened to you. You, you need to talk <laughs> to them. <laughs> over yonder, not here. A yonder. <laughs> Got yeah, over yonder, over that way. <laughs> She's in Illinois, so, you know. You, 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 can use worm, you can use the worm casting straight out of the bay. And you and yeah. you, you can keep it on. You you cannot hurt your plants with it. Or you can make a tea and it goes farther using it as tea because what you're actually doing is growing your microbial herd mm-hmm. in the three days. Now, with with the tea and and that we can deal with the, the fire ants and and any kind of ants to move them farther from the house. What way do we? I mean, what if it gets so big? Everything gets so big we can't even mow it or or weed whack it to to keep it. Does it stop at a certain point, or do we stop doing the tea, or what is a kind of a ease it into uh, the better level. I'm talking about grass. Food you want bigger. Uh, this does not actually grow bigger and faster. It grows better. Oh, okay. Healthier. Uh, healthier, yes. It doesn't stimulate growth like nitrogen does, for instance, in a crop. Okay. It it does supply nitrogen, but it's in a balanced form, and and so it grows much healthier without the disease and insect pressures. That makes okay. sense. Yeah. So when when you're doing this with these these guys, I mean, I'm talking about the the turds, um, and you're putting them out there, you're actually going to have a result of healthier looking but not overpowering you. That's one okay. way to put it. Okay. okay. Now you can actually measure that quality, that that uh increase in, in the health with a refractometer. Some of you may be familiar with a refractometer. It's a it's little correct. telescope look yeah, explain that to us, uh, Sandy, because I know uh, some people have and some people have, and I, I've studied it with the uh, radiation, but this is important with food, too. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. With, you can measure anything you can squeeze juice out of. And I use a garlic press to squeeze juice out of leaves, grass, anything that's not juicy. You can't just cut and squeeze a little juice on the, on the prism. It's a little telescope-looking little critter about six inches long. It's got a prism on one end with a little gate, a, a little door that opens and closes on it. Just use, open it up, squeeze juice on the prism, close the, close the gate on it, and look through the eyepiece. And what you'll see is a scale of 0 to 32. This is called a BRICS, B-R-I-X scale. A fellow by the name of Bricks developed it. When you look through there with the juice on the prism, you'll see a blue field on the bottom and a clear field on top where that sugar uh, level is. 
on a scale of 0 to 32. Now, what happens is the light coming in, there's no batteries or anything to, to run it, operate it. But what the light comes through the juice and is refracted, that's where it gets the name. The light is bounced off of this sugar molecule and gives you a measure of the, of the concentration of sugar. Now, when you, when you find uh, blueberries and wondering, you've got one of my brochures, I think. Yeah, yep. And the blueberries are huge. They're, 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 the average, this one customer has been a customer of mine for seven years now. He's got 3,500 blueberry plants. He planted 3,000 of them with the worm castings in the hole mixed with the soil in the hole that he planted, actually transplanted the blueberries into. Last year, his smallest blueberries were the size of a nickel. Yep. The largest yep. one the size of a quarter. And the sugar content, as measured by the fractometer, was off the scale. Average so blueberries will run about 8 degrees bricks, or it'll read 8 on that scale. His went 22. Yep. His, I have the chart here right in front of me. Go ahead. He's on the record column three times. Strawberries, blueberries, and sweet corn. Mm. Blueberries went 20 degrees bricks. Average is 10. And his sweet corn, which is was uh, uh, peaches and cream corn, Average is 10 for sweet corn. His went 56. Yep. Tell about he that got, uh, the story. I'm sorry, uh, that story you said about him selling the corn at the farmer's market or uh, yep. flea market. You've seen the picture of the corn. I think I showed you that where the, yep. where the kernels were filled out clear around the end. The, the very tip of the corn, corn cob was filled out. All of the all the kernels grew to to maturity. Most corn is immature on the end, and that's where the worms come. He had no earworms in the whole field. May have had a few, but just a sprinkling, maybe. No worm damage on the corn. The corn was so good he sold it. It demanded a dollar per ear against that's twelve dollars a dozen against the. Neighbor who sold his was selling his for four dollars a dozen, and Ronnie outsold the cheaper guy. Once people tasted this corn, they were willing to pay three times the price for it. My wife and I were helping him one day, one morning at a sale, sit up next to him because I could demonstrate with his crop what you could expect from. Uh oh. My wife and I helped him sell corn that, that morning in an hour and It's breaking up again. I don't know why I'm breaking up, but yeah. is that better? What about your wife and you at the uh, uh, getting the corn? We helped him sell his corn because he got real busy. We sold 500 ears in an hour and 15 minutes. Wow. At a dollar per ear. Wow. And he sold out. Okay. Uh, just to 
along that line, these uh, blueberries, he got a premium for your blueberries, too, because people demand quality. They want quality. They don't usually get quality. Right. They're willing to price for it. All right, let's jump a little uh, to a little different field. Let's say pastured cattle. I have evidence that pastured cattle, grass-run cattle, were, were recorded at one-half pound gain per day per acre. That was their standard. After treating it with this method, because he didn't make it five gallons at a time, he made it in larger batches, but he sprayed the grass with compost tea. His gain, his production, went to three pounds per day per acre. Wow. Six times the production per acre. Same amount of cattle, same amount of mother cows, same the same except the way he treated grass. That's the potential laying in this this field. So he was able to increase everything about the cow's body weight, which, of course, increased his uh, amount of monies made at the uh, for the uh, on the hoof price. So at all times, there's the nutrition value of what you're telling us is what is making these cattle and us feel better every day. Correct. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. And your food will do the same for you. You'll be healthy. You won't come down with all kinds of maladies if you eat properly and food that is nutritious. Correct. And what have they done in the last, well, I know in 96 or so when we heard about the uh, GMO and what they were doing, we knew that was really bad warning coming. And in, the, in the, these 20, what is it, uh, 96, 06, 06, 16, well, it's tw- plus 20 years that they've been doing it, and it is in, it has made more people sick than anything else they've ever done to us. There is not a single GMO crop that improves on nature. Correct. Not one. What they've they've a fish gene into crops to, to give them frost tolerance. I have had tomatoes grown under this program it survived 26-degree night with no frost damage. Really? Yes, ma'am. What a difference that would make for our Florida people. Absolutely. Good gravy. It was six hours freezing and below with no damage. That's unheard of. That is just amazing. Because I know well, it, I have to watch it right here in, in in South Carolina if my little plants get something. Well, let me explain that, Wondra Ann. When you have the mineral content in the cell, at a higher level, higher concentration, 
you have literally lower the freezing point. Wow. Just like putting antifreeze in your car. So in essence, with the feeding you're giving them, they are gaining the nutrition they need to survive anything. Absolutely. Bugs, I've actually run Japanese beetles off of apple trees, and they never came back with the teeth. They don't like it. They actually don't, do not like it. What about those Asian ladybird beetles? Those things are horrible. Dinko things? Yeah. I, the ones I think they're with. I think it works with any bug. I think works with any bug. It's it's subject to the health of the plant. That's what attracts the bug. Those beetles, all those beetles, every every alpha beetle we have or we have have antennas, don't they? What are the antennas for? They're to find their mate and their food. If that crop is putting off a different frequency, it does not tweak their antennas. They fly right on by. Wow. So they ignore, they ignore the fields that are dead already because of the GMO and the, uh, uh, the chemicals that's being put on them. Yep. Wow. That's why they can brag. Look, it doesn't kill these plants. No, they're dead already. Oh. And they'll kill you, too. That's right. They're doing a darn good job of it. So how how is it we can... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.